What's up, status community? <laughs> How are you guys doing out there? Lovely to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, we've got a great show for you today. So part of the conversation that I want to get into later about the second half of the program has to do, obviously, um, with the devastating hit that we saw happen on Monday Night Football to DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills player who collapsed there on the field suffered cardiac arrest, continues to be in intensive care even right now. The entire country is rallying around this young man, his survival first and foremostly, but his recovery ultimately. But what about all the players that the NFL simply consumes their body, consumes their minds with CTE and discards them to the extent that a lot of disabled players they had to fight to get any sort of material recompense, some sort of pension support from the NFL. And the NFL is racist. It is ran like a plantation. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that we need to discuss considering this is America's, I believe, most profitable professional sport. Why do we consume such brutality in this way? And are comfortable with the products, the players who are overwhelmingly black just to be ate up and discarded. Ooh, deep topic. We're going to get into that with justice journalist and sports journalist, Chuck Modiano. He's going to be joining us here a little bit later in the program um, to talk about some of those issues and how this incident with DeMar Hamlin is not an isolated one, even for this season. Okay. Dolphins fans know what I'm talking about. So we'll get into that in just a bit. But the first thing I wanted to start off with, woo is uh, the mess. <laughs> it is the mess, the mess on Capitol Hill. And I have to say, you know, I'm not patriotic. So I, I find the mess entertaining and I'm not necessarily rooting for or against anybody in the mess. I do just enjoy watching the mess. So the mess I'm speaking of is that we have a new Congress, right? But, but do we actually have a new Congress if no one has been <laughs> sworn in? <laughs> do we even have a Congress right now? In the House, at least. Is anything going on? Well, the main thing that's going on is that the the GOP, the House Republicans, are, are, are acting a fool, okay? And they are carrying on. And I have to say, is everyone familiar with carrying on? <laughs> everybody, is everybody uh, on the same page with what, what carrying on means? They are carrying on. And they carried on today in the House chamber as... Uh, I guess minority leader. Is he still minority leader, Kevin McCarthy? Until he get well, I guess he's majority leader. I don't know what the fuck he is, but he's not Speaker of the House. And that is for certain because after three failed votes yesterday, they came back and voted again. And McCarthy was not able to secure the votes needed again. And I believe they voted again, or they were slated to vote for a fifth vote. Chat status community. Are you so apprised of, of the latest developments? Because I'm telling you, I, 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 I kind of zoned out. I said, how many votes are they going to do? Um, but you would actually think that the sky is literally falling if you are watching mainstream media. And let me say this. So uh, about McCarthy, I don't give a fuck about Kevin McCarthy. Okay, let me be clear. Because it's, it just, you know, the next... The NFL works next man up, right? The GOP House leadership works next dickhead up. It doesn't even really matter. <laughs> if it's Jim Jordan, 
who whoever it is, it's, he's going to be a jerk. <laughs> whomever the next speaker of the house is going to be coming from the Republican Party is going to be a grade A asshole. Make no mistake about that. However, um, the intrigue, the palace intrigue of all of this is very interesting. But before, let, actually, let, let let me play that Fox clip first, Colin. Let's let's play this clip from. I don't know these Fox News people's names. I don't know. Is it Douchey? What's the guy? What's the other? <laughs> what's the other? Uh, I, don't, I don't know the Fox people's name because they because truly they all just look like copies of each other. Uh, so one of one of one of the douche canoes over there at Fox News interviewed this black Republican congressperson, I believe, from Florida. Shocked me. <laughs> I said, who is this dude? Uh, but he is a part, apparently part of the Republican caucus there in the house and this particular brother byron representative byron if i got his name right um i mean byron is his first name of course naturally i do not know his last name but you guys will see so anywho um this gentleman hopped on fox news today because he was one of the 20 so-called defectors so-called rebels I love the terminology being used by the media. We're going to get into the way that this is being covered uh, by the cable news outlets here in just a moment. Uh, but listen to what one of the, the 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 Fox douches had to say. Is that misogynistic? I don't think so. Anyway, let's listen to this this exchange, and the congressman is going to explain, or the congressman elect rather, is going to explain to the Fox News host why he changed his vote away from Kevin McCarthy and decided to throw his support behind Jim Jordan. Congressman-elect Byron Donalds joins us now. Congressman, after watching the vote astoundingly uh, and seeing 19 short, we saw you jump ship. First off, your mindset for doing that. What did you think would happen when you decided to go with Jim Jordan? Well, a couple things. One, you know, I had signaled to people I would vote for Kevin on ballot one. I was possible on a ballot two. I made that vote. At that point, we were basically deadlocked, and it was pretty clear that he didn't have the votes. Uh, so my thoughts is, okay, if he doesn't have the votes, what are we going to do as a conference to either find someone who can get to 218 or at a minimum adjourn what we were doing, get off the floor so the needed negotiations can happen? I think that it was actually not in a good place for the Republican conference to stay on the House floor yesterday and continuously vote. Look, a lot of people back home are trying to figure out what's going on on Capitol Hill. But what we are really having is a deliberative process about House leadership and about what is needed to get Washington back on track. For too long in the nation's capital, everybody has just gone along with the next wave of leadership. And that's not an anti-Kevin McCarthy statement. That is a statement about what a deliberative open process means for the constitutional republic that is the United States of America. You know, I hate it when broken clocks are right twice a day. Here's the thing. The, the mainstream media is describing this as, you know, disarray. It's so embarrassing. It's a humiliation. It's, it's an historical anomaly that the majority party in the House has not been able to elect a speaker, thereby, you know, engaging all the rest of the, the business of the Congress to commence for that particular term or whatever, right? Um, I respect the shit though. Okay. I, I respect, I respect this. I do not respect these people. I do not respect whatever their motives are. 
nor do I respect what they stand for or their ideology or any of that. But I respect this carrying on. You guys understand what I mean by carrying on now, right? This is carrying on to drag out this process to extract whatever concessions they're trying to get from McCarthy. Again, I, people, people who are more plugged into the parliamentarian aspects of how the this this uh, legislative chamber works are more equipped than I to explain to you about committee uh, appointments and all that shit. I don't care about any of that, okay? What I do care about is that to be obstinate and even to show how a very small but deliberate number of, of, of a caucus can come together and throw a monkey wrench for the majority and the leadership of a party is something that you would think that the squad, <laughs> you would think that the squad, them being elected into Congress in, in recent years, isn't isn't this kind of what we thought that the squad was going to DC to do to unite as a block, be it big or small, but enough to put um, a, a spoke in the wheel of Democrats. And I, I, I can't call it progress. So I'm throwing up my air quotes. If you can't see the air quotes are there in the progress, but for the democratic agenda to force things like force the vote on, on Medicare for all to do things that will force the party leadership and the House leadership, congressional leadership into advancing policies such as getting the federal minimum wage passed and raised to a thriving wage, not just some 25 bullshit, or even $15 an hour now is 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 outdated and, and not uh, on par with the cost of living. But we thought that the squad was going to come here and do this. And, and I would imagine, like I said, for more mutually beneficial things for the Democratic Party's constituents than whatever these Republicans are, are motivations are. Um, actually, let me show another way in which the Republicans decided to carry on. Mm, we, we're clear on carrying on, right? Carry on today. Colin, let me get Lauren Boebert. <laughs> Lauren Boebert. So on this, I believe, was the fourth vote for speaker, the one that took place this morning. Uh, Lauren Boebert, mm, she, you know, she showed up, of course she showed up, but she got on the microphone and, and said some things that engendered some booze from the crowd. The, the, the crowd did not appreciate the crowd that is being the house chamber <laughs> did not appreciate uh, representative Boebert's comments. Let's take a look at that. Let's stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. And with that, I yield. Thank you. Ooh. Now, you know all those misogynistic conservative Congress members are not here for uh, some broad, some dame <laughs> to think that she can step to the microphone and tell President Trump what to do, boo! They booed her. <laughs> they booed her. They said, Lauren, mm -mm. no, no, no. This is the GOP, honey. You are still subservient to we, the men. Uh, make no mistake about that. So they booed her for that. Uh, but she made an interesting point. I think that she, not, not 
interesting. I'm sorry, that's overstating it a bit. But she made a point that at this point, there is no support for McCarthy to be speaker, or at least not enough for him to get the votes. And the GOP is embarrassing themselves at this point. And let me let the media, the the, the mainstream outlets, give a, a quick, semi-breathless synopsis on how much of a humiliation this is. Take a look. Sorry, Colin. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw it to you too quick. Sorry, I missed it. What was it? One more time. I'm sorry. The media. My bad. The the the, the clips that we. Oh, that, the clips. Oh, yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, my bad. Is this group of five people and Patrick McHenry from North Carolina is I think maybe the smartest member of of Congress that I've that I've worked with uh, are looking at options as to negotiating with the the troublemakers within the GOP conference, potentially uh, Democrats, if it comes to that pass. What kind of Congress will the next two years be? At some point, they'll they'll come to a speaker. But but if you could have a battle like this and that five members, in effect, plus the others they've been able to bring Mm -hmm. on board can cause so much trouble here, what does that mean for things like, I don't know, funding the government or any other piece of legislation? If you're not going to change the minds of 20 people or you're not going to change the minds of, you know, 15 people, what's the next step here, Congressman? Well, there's two prongs. I think he has to continue working with these 20 some odd folks. And hopefully over time, they'll see that the 201, 202 people have just as much willpower as they do. We don't want to be held hostage by a small group. You know, I, I have some sympathy here for Kevin McCarthy because I don't know to some extent whether or not a deal will see ultimately if this is true or not, but could have been cut. As he's made concessions and they've been agreed to, we talk about goalposts yeah. moving, but the goalposts keep moving so much that we don't know whether or not this is a caucus that essentially is the nothing will ever be good enough caucus. AOC actually voted for her at that time and Republicans booed her on the House floor for doing so. But all of this sort of shows that while Pelosi was elected speaker at a time of these sort of left-wing rebels, that so-called squad never ended up being the threat to the Democratic Party that these right-wing rebels are ending up being to McCarthy and the larger Republican Party. Give that fan a contract. Yeah, Shorty, she she hit that one on the head right there. The squad was never a threat. The squad was never a threat. In fact, the squad was just more um, social media savvy, I would say, <laughs> out of all of the prominent members of, of Congress, especially from the Democratic side. The squad just was just more savvy. I mean, and Nancy Pelosi was smart enough to usurp some of their cool, right? Um, as we saw from that Rolling Stone cover that Colin so cleverly used for uh, today's show thumbnail. Like, you look at that cover. First of all, I shook my damn, put that, yeah, throw that up, Colin. Look at that. I mean, it just makes you just shake your damn head. <laughs> it's like, um, and, and no disrespect to anybody up there individually, but the whole scene is phony, phony. Phony, 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 I'm sorry, I'm, I'm pointing at everybody on, on the cover. Phony, 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 phony. And I believe members like Rashida Tlaib and even Ilhan Omar, like I believe that they still hold a lot of the values. But the problem is you cannot, the just by the virtue of the squad being mostly non-white people, right? Exclusively, they, oh, non-white people, but by and large, right? I mean, they just don't wield no power. You know what I'm saying? They don't have the same kind of political backing, historical um, privilege 
to exert that kind of power within that specific chamber. You know what I'm saying? Like these 20 rebels <laughs> in, in the Republican Party, uh, Congressman elect there, Byron Donald, that's why I couldn't remember his name because he got two first names and I don't trust people with two first names. So I intentionally forgot his, his last name, but Byron Donald, Congressman elect there. I mean, you know, he he's an anomaly out of that, out of those 20 so-called Republican rebels who refuse to affirm Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker, right? The rest of them look like it, it's white folks, right? Um, and for some of them, I'm sure they are connected white folks, obviously, but they are moneyed white folks. They likely have um, a, a good amount of dark money, I'm sure, <laughs> pushing behind them. They got juice that the squad just don't have, okay? And the squad thought that they could do something but i think they were very quickly reminded they didn't even have to be reminded by the likes of those on the right they were put in check by people like nancy pelosi like steady hoyer like james Clyburn. you know the squad got neutered they had their balls handed to them ladies too <laughs> the ladies had their balls handed to them um by members of their own party leadership because they were too radical talking um too quick to advocate for policies that Democratic House leadership knew that would never fly or barely fly in the House and absolutely would go nowhere in the Senate. I mean, it, the, 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 the gender, the privilege, the class dynamics do not compete between the squad and to what these, I, don't, I guess they're going to call these 20 defectors something at some point, right? Um, it's not the same, but so, I mean, we could try, <laughs> I mean, we, we could still keep hope alive. Um, but the things just fall apart under the scrutiny of, of class privilege, power, race, and gender. I'm sorry. Um, what was the other thing that I had to include with that? Oh yes. Really quickly because, so you see that the Republicans are struggling to get McCarthy elected. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. Elected house speaker. So Jim Jordan, mm -mm from Ohio. We know Jim Jordan, terrible reputation, allegedly, whilst he was an assistant wrestling coach at, was it Ohio State? Yes. When the coach there, the actual coach, um, reportedly abused lots, dozens and dozens of male athletes, uh, Jim Jordan allegedly had to have known something, but, you know, I guess his constituents just let that slide. They did, you know, Ohio, I guess they don't care about people getting sexually assaulted, but I, I digress. So while the GOP is content to step over McCarthy <laughs> and, and go immediately on to someone who was purported to perhaps been protecting a known sexual predator, the Democrats are reveling in their representational victory of electing the first ever uh, leader, party leader in the house who was, who is black. And that's Hakeem Jeffries of New York City, I believe of Brooklyn. Brooklyn, is this your man's? Hakeem Jeffries. Now, Hakeem Jeffries has been pretty antagonistic, I think, to progressives and progressive policies, right? Um, to me, he's one of those people that, you know, yeah, I remember, I think I've talked to you guys before about, you know, please, especially our, our non-Black friends, don't get too excited. <laughs> don't, don't get too excited over the first, because um, I think politically left 
black people understand those black people that are on the political left understand that um the politics of that first ever african american ever given some sort of political title or to reach some sort of political achievement um is usually because they just fall in line with what the white power <laughs> what the white power structure wants right like at the, you know i mean it's the he we didn't elect you know huey p newton as the first ever uh leader of the democratic party no hakeem jeffries uh, there we go hakeem is is now in there and i was trying to look at some things about hakeem i'm like i i i know there's some things about hakeem that i don't particularly care for I don't know. He's, I don't know. But the one thing that jumped out at me was a clip actually that I saw posted on Chuck Modiano's account some time ago. Chuck, you posted this and I said, oh boy. <laughs> so I want us to take a look. This is going to be Hakeem Jeffries at a pro-Israel rally. Not recently. This was a few years ago. But Hakeem Jeffries I want you guys to listen to what Hakeem Jeffrey said. You've probably seen this if you're a big Twitter user. If you have not seen this, the quote that Hakeem Jeffries gives at the end is a very, very famous American quote. Yes, famous American quote. And let me see if you guys, let me see how astute your historical ears are for famous political quotes uh, as we listen to this clip of Hakeem Jeffries at a pro-Israel rally. Let's take a look. Listen. And then you had to deal with the first intifada and Israel prevailed. And yet Israel had to deal with the second intifada and Israel prevailed. And then missiles were flying in December of 2008 and Israel prevailed. And then missiles were flying in November of 2012 and Israel prevailed. And so I'm confident that when it's all said and done, we're going to stand together. Israel today, Israel tomorrow, Israel forever. God bless you. you guys something okay please know that american politics are, are are down bad and not to say that they were ever ever up in any meaningful way but you gotta be down bad when the one party on the right is trying to elect an an alleged protector of sexual predators right and then the other party on the alleged left, which we know the the left is not represented in in, in the federal chamber, right? Um, but when the other party leader from the left on the other side of the aisle is quoting segregationist George Wallace, George Wallace very famously stood up. Was this Mississippi or Alabama? I get I get my segregationist sometimes transposed. And he very famously said, segregation today and segregation tomorrow and segregation forever. And I have to think that Hakeem Jeffries selecting that quote um, had to have been Freudian in some way because Israel's an apartheid state. And look at this black man uh, supporting apartheid. <laughs> it's just like, sir. And using the segregationist quote to back up his points, it's embarrassing, okay? It is embarrassing. We have on in the House chamber, that the, the, the place that is supposed to be the people's house, representative of the people, we have a black man in a position for the first time ever who very gladly and with his whole chest supports apartheid and segregation in Israel. And then on the other side, we have all these other schmucks who support all the other bad things <laughs> that that are absolutely harming people. Okay. 
down bad. The American political system, y'all. I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in it. I show up and vote, but I don't have a lot of confidence in it. So I'm not exactly sure where the house moves from here. Um, I, I saw some speculation that potentially even Jeffries might be elected speaker. I am not really sure as to the specific kind of wranglings that are going to continue to go on, but I will say I'm here for the mess. I'm here for the disarray. I'm here for the first time in a hundred years ever. Has this ever happened? Good. Because this political system, these institutions need to be shook up. And I hate that it is this rabble of dickheads <laughs> who, who stand firmly against everything that I support, right? I, I'm, I can't, I, I refuse to root for them because of who they are and what they, and what they represent. But I will say I support the carrying on, continue to carry on, continue to disrupt, continue to make sure that things do not operate business as usual because the system is already broken. So continue to break it, <laughs> break, break it until it doesn't work anymore. Okay. That is what I hope the end result of all of this chicanery and, and intrigue that is going on among house Republicans uh, down in DC. So Thank you guys so much. Really quick, do me a favor, run us um, some thumbs up. Let me get on back to the chat here. I hope you guys are enjoying your new year so far. Um, please be safe, especially if you are in certain parts of the country, if you're experiencing extreme weather, which we all are. As glad as I am, I suppose, to not have to be seriously bundled up on January 4th. It does perplex me quite a bit at the temperatures that we are seeing and the stuff that we are seeing happening in Europe as well. So um, just wherever you are, just try to be aware, mindful of the changing weather conditions and do what you can to keep yourself safe. So um, the next thing that I want to talk about guys has to do with um, the situation happening in the NFL as uh, the country continues to pray for the young football player, the 24-year-old Buffalo Bills player, um, who on Monday Night Football suffered a cardiac arrest on the field in live television right there on um in, in front of a crowd of, of many tens of thousands in Cincinnati. And the young Mr. Hamlin is still fighting for his life tonight. His family has released a statement indicating that while he has made some improvement, he is still very much in a very serious situation as it pertains to his own survival. He is not yet breathing on his own. He is still breathing with the assistance of a ventilator. And the report that I saw before I came on, um, doctors I think at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, said that they are treating him, he, he, he's being treated while lying flat on his stomach. They're trying to clear the blood out of his lungs because he was receiving CPR, intense CPR, for an extended amount of time. And we know, you know, CPR is meant to save your life, but it can do damage um, as well. So uh, this young man's situation is still not 100% clear. And there's been a tremendous amount of outpouring, truly, because I really feel as though this particular incident really shook up the country because America is football, okay? When, I mean, you know, in the 21st century, 
it's football. Maybe in the 20th century, maybe it was baseball, maybe the latter part of the 20th century basketballs wiggled in there to be number two, but it's football. Americans watch football, period, point blank. Um, and the NFL is a juggernaut, not only of material wealth made up of a cabal of billionaires, uh, but they are politically connected in this country. And really, who oversees the NFL? Nobody. But as a result, the NFL's... Oh, oh let me say something real quick. Actually, Colin, can you pop up um, uh, Mr. Hamlin's GoFundMe, please? Because um, this kid, this 24-year-old young man, before suffering this injury on Monday Night Football, he had been raising money online to support his mom, I believe it's his mom's daycare to support the kids there with presents. And he was only looking for $2,500. And since this incident happened so far, as of now, I, it's probably higher, but six and a half million dollars has been raised uh, to support this young man's um, foundation or the, the, the toy drive that he wanted to do uh, to support his, his mom's childcare. Um, and, and the clients there that they serve. So, um, but this, this really brings about a larger question because this was not the first time that a young football player from the NFL has collapsed on the field in this way. And it brings up the larger questions about player safety and the ways in which this massive institution known as the National Football League, the ways in which they just consume the bodies of mostly African-American men. And after that, after their playing careers are over, they are left dealing with these lifetime of debilitating injuries and disabilities, and they're left with very little support. So joining us today, I would like to welcome, I'd like to say a good, a good buddy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Justice journalist and sports reporter, a, a person who I believe navigates both lanes exceedingly well and stands at the intersection when it comes to covering uh, these kinds of incidents and beyond. We're joined today with Chuck Modiano. Chuck, thank you so much. I'm so happy to see you. Welcome to Status Quo. Kim, great to see you again. It's been a, it's been a little bit and uh, just great to talk to you about anything, but there have been better circumstances, but we tend to get together when the circumstances aren't great, which is, seems like more often than not. Well, and Chuck, you know, the reason I call on you is because, you know, you got good sense and, yeah. and you know, you tend to get things correct, especially when it comes to race and class and how these things combined uh, amongst each other when it comes to professional sports. And, you know, talking about uh, what's going on with number three for Buffalo and um, not just him, but also I'm going to mess this young man's name up. I'm so sorry. But the, the quarterback for the Dolphins, Tua Tagliavolia, is that right? No, it's Tua not. Tagliavolia. Okay, close enough. Thank you so much for that. And how so far, I mean, this season, Chuck, we have seen these kids collapse as a result of being hit with really just devastating effect with the young man from um, from Miami, Tagliavolia, suffering, I believe, three concussions this season. Tw two of them is when he just got knocked out completely on the field, much to the horror of everybody watching. And people, I believe, Chuck, I feel like what happened on Monday Night Football just this week has kind of changed the conversation 
about the importance of this game over the health and safety of players. Tell, how, how are you reading this? Uh, someone break busts a knee. Somebody has. Am I coming through? You you weren't for a second. You you was you was freestyling like Jigaman, and we saw you. We saw you with the hands and everything, but we didn't hear you. So if you could take. Do you, hear, do you hear me now? Yes, I do. Yes. Okay. If it happens one more time, let me know, Kim, and I'm just going to take this out and we'll do it a different way. Okay. Um, and I'll make sure. But I think what's really <laughs> what's really important here is that it did capture the national attention. It did happen on Monday Night Football. It was unprecedented to some degree. There was a player who died in 1971 once uh, before that I didn't even learn about till today, and it was uh, cardiac arrest. But when these things happen, they're usually someone has a gruesome knee injury. Um, if it's the worst we generally see is a paralysis on the field. Um, that we've seen, but what we have not seen, I have never seen, is someone on the field need to be resuscitated through CPR to save their life. And that that is somewhat new besides that with this one case in 1971 that people don't know about. And um, the hit wasn't particularly a, a vicious hit and whatnot. And, you know, it, it, it's a dangerous game and it shows that anything can happen because that the hit that we saw is a hit that we've seen thousands of times. But what I think you said something really important that I'd like to engage with you is you didn't just talk about what happened on the field and player safety, but you talked about what happens after a, a young person retires, after someone leaves the NFL, and what does that look like? And that's the real crime that goes even beyond his own life. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a conversation we need to have, so I'm glad you're engaging that. Absolutely, because because I mean, Chuck, you you you've written about this, and trust me, as somebody who is a disability rights advocate, I appreciate that kind of coverage because you know, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot to be said about where NFL players come from in terms of their socioeconomic background when they begin, because a lot of people really don't have sympathy for, for these players once they leave the game because they say, hey, you made all these millions of dollars. Maybe you should have saved. Maybe you should have invested. There's no reason why you should be, you know, so broke down and unable to care for yourself. But, you know, and, and that's a class conversation that we yeah. may not even be able to have. But talk about how players have had to really, really fight. And even the $1 billion, I, I believe NPR reported on that uh, today about the settlement reached with um, the, the retired NFL players or those who brought that class action suit against the NFL and were able to settle for a billion. But I said, that sounds kind of low relative yeah. to the amount of profits that NFL owners and the league have undoubtedly reaped off the labor of, of these football players. That's right. And, and, you know, you have to go back to the collective bargaining agreement from a few years ago when, and we spoke about it together at the time. And I appreciate that. But Eric Reed, who's who's most known outside of football for kneeling with Colin Kaepernick, but gets forgotten in those Colin Kaepernick discussions. He was also blackballed and he came back for a minute and then he was blackballed. But let's understand why he was fighting almost single handedly 
against the new collective bargaining agreement that is corrupt. And I will also say the, the players union, there's corruption within the leadership of the players union that overturned an executive committee vote to reject the CBA. So there's a lot of money in the NFL and it infects the, um, the players union as well. So what happened was disability benefits were cut. Um, it affecting impacting 400 um, players. That's what Eric Reed was fighting most about. I'm of the opinion he's blackballed more for that because he was getting in, he was messing with the billions now in a, in a very different way. So that's a very important conversation. And this is an extension of that conversation because DeMar Hamlin only has two years in the NFL. Okay. And you need three years to be vested to get retirement benefits. So that would be cut off to DeMar Hamlin. Now, we've heard some leadership in Troy Vincent say he will be taken care of. Well, if that's the case, and if, if there were to be some exception, it would be because DeMar Hamlin has the national attention. But the, well, then what about the bigger problem? What about the gangsterism of the NFL that leaves all of these players broken down, um, often concussed, bad um, knees, injuries, needing medical care for the rest of their life, and less likely to be able to qualify for disability because they made that more stringent. Um, and that's a real conversation. And I actually wanna engage your point. You said, well, we don't have time to have a class conversation. I, I think we have to have with the NFL that class conversation too, because I will make the argument that the average NFL player, I'm not talking about the top 10 players who make gazillions, the average NFL player whose lifespan is, is two and a half years is like the, the regular lifespan of NFL player is more like you and me than the multimillionaire who's set for life. And I, I think it's important that we have to make that argument for people who dismiss their lives. Okay. Cause when I have a bad day at work, I don't walk away with a concussion. I don't walk away and I can't walk. My brain's not so scrambled that I am putting um, things that should go in the oven in the freezer, stories that I hear from family members. So we have to engage that class conversation for some people who may not get it. And let's talk also, Chuck, about truly, I mean, the exploitation of the health of these players while they are active in the league. And I'm thinking about Tua, right? Uh, I mean, the scariest things that you could think of after seeing uh, a quarterback or really any player get hit in the ways that he did and for him to fall out not once, but I believe twice on the field. And I think one of the three concussions or at least one instance this season, Chuck, correct me, but he was cleared to play yeah. to resume playing by those on the sidelines who were supposed to be entrusted with protecting his health. Um, are, are, what are these players truly? I, I know that the league has made, I guess, some efforts to put rules into place to try to make the game safer. But at the end of the day, it's you better get on out there and play. Yeah. And in the culture within the game, all players know about that. Um, there's a line within NFL circles the best ability is availability. If you're not on that field, you're, you're going to be gone quick. So people know, the marginal players know, and most players are marginal. Marginal. Most players are replaceable. There's only a few on each team, really, who hit that level of, you know, you might need me for a while. And outside you get to a handful at most on each team. People have to understand there are 45 people on a team. The other 40? Um, the majority make minimum wage. The majority of players make a minimum wage. 
and a minimum wage. So you say, oh, the million. But if your average career is two years or two and a half years and you've prepared for that career your whole life, well, you have to stretch out those two million over, you know, uh, th 20, 30 years. And you have to think about it like that. Um, so it, it's, it, it is important to see, um, as I said earlier, that the players' lives are closer to our lives than the multimillionaires. But also, Chuck, I mean, the players are have to be protected against themselves, right? Yeah. Because the players understand that it's the next man up mentality. And if they're not out there, then someone is going to take their place. But and they want to go out hurt, concussed, you know. Yes. And but the, and and the NFL allows them to continue to basically grind their bodies into the ground. Like I don't I, I don't understand how this these are not OSHA violations. <laughs> like I don't see how players and, and people workers basically can be allowed to continue to 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 play hurt. But I guess this is America. Everybody everybody went to work with goddamn COVID. Where this I should not be surprised. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you you make a good point about the play, the player mentality that has been grown since they're children that you you didn't get that good by not always wanting to be out there now here's the thing so in baseball if, if when a manager goes to the pitcher's mound there's never a pitcher who wants to come out of the game the pitcher if you ask the pitcher they would say 10 out of 10 times no i want to stay in the game i can get this man out and you have to have the better judgment of that manager the manager says give me the ball we ain't negotiating here give me the ball I see something different, and it's time for you to come out. I see your arm is tiring. Now multiply that by 100, and you're talking about the NFL. Because you're not talking about performance. You're talking about injury as well. And they want to get people on the field. So you brought up Tua earlier. It's a profit-driven league. They wanted Tua on the field. There's a, 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 a narrative. He was going to be the star. Him and, him and the new coach, Mike McDaniel was the story. If you listen to their storyline, there were production meetings where they talked about them throughout the entire time. If you remove Tua from the game, you lose it. That was on a Thursday night, mind you. It wasn't on a Sunday. It was on a Thursday night. Amazon is a new network. They're trying to showcase themselves. So that we're talking about billions of profit here. And going to the pitcher analogy, I think the most egregious thing that I saw, if you remember RG3 in his first year, um, Robert Griffin III, when he played for the Commanders. I remember I am well. telling you, this man would be a Hall of Famer yeah. had he not injured. And why was he injured? He was out there hobbling on one leg in a playoff game, his rookie. His speed was critical to his success. And Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's father, the former coach of the Washington team, left him out there for dead, in my opinion. Saw him as a piece of meat, in my opinion. And when his leg buckled and, and his career symbolically buckled with it, um, he was stone cold on the sideline. Uh, and, you know, he, he looked like a coach who would, who would stump for Trump and Bush, which is what he did, but he looked like that guy. And I, I use that example of Mike Shanahan because on one hand he's stumping for, for Trump, and then he's, he's, quote, quote, overseeing these black players. There's a connection between not caring about that black body and, and not caring about RG3 as a human being. And so I think that that's what we see. That's football in itself. If you take the majority of owners, probably 90 percent of them, they're Trumpers. And many of them actively um, campaign for Trump just to, to give you an idea of the chasm between ownership and player.
Oh, yes, because Chuck, you just you hit all the nails on the head. I love the fact that you referred to Shanahan as an overseer because basically that's what he is. And you said the NFL is a profit driven league, much like the institution of slavery. It was definitely a profit driven yeah. league um, trying to promote and utilize um, and exploit the, the labor and the prowess of, of black bodies, of African bodies. And the NFL is an iteration of exactly that and the race dynamics and the power dynamics and the wealth dynamics of this just simply cannot be ignored here chuck i mean because most most of the owners as you mentioned are are white overwhelmingly conservative and the majority of the players are overwhelmingly black and also with the whites is the coaches and, and the majority of the management and front office positions and it's like it's it it, it becomes more glaring to me every year when the NFL combine comes on, where you have these college players that are vying to get drafted by these respective teams. And it looks like you have these, these well, um, um, conditioned black men standing on like slave auctions. Like they're checking their body parts and look, checking their teeth. I'm, I said, what in the hell is this? Every time I see the NFL combine, it makes me so right. uncomfortable, uh, Chuck. So, I mean, th this whole owner, well-compensated slave dynamic um, is, is very real in the NFL. And it, I, in my opinion, and I, by the reporting that you've done, it contributes a lot to the way that the players are treated while they are active and definitely after they have finished playing. I mean, certainly. And, you know, it's, it's nothing new. One of the most interesting, absurd comments I get on Twitter all the time is someone saying, how could these owners be racist? 70% of the players are black, right? We, I, I get this pretty regularly, and it's so silly. But I, I, what I tell people, if you want to get some history, if you go back to the late 1800s and the Kentucky Derby, well, the first uh, uh, Kentucky Derby, 13 of the 15 jockeys were black. And according to such logic, um, there was no racism back in the 1880s because of these jockeys and the, the, the love of diversity by all of the uh, – owners who own the horses especially so, in kentucky right <laughs> yeah yeah especially in kentucky exactly um which is a, a bastion of equality right now of course and um so it it's ridiculous what, what what is true is that if you have ability um the, the the owner will see green that's what that's what is true and so we have to make sure we understand this and not need a donald sterling tape audio tape to come up so we could hear the blatant, blatant racism on tape before we say, how can he hang out with these great black players and still be completely racist? You know, if you need that tape, we have a problem. Or I love Jerry Jones, right? Jerry yeah. Jones showed up to the North Little Rock High School just oh, yeah. to see what was going on. He just showed up to the Klan rally to see what the other <laughs> girls were doing. Listen, he was a bystander. He was Jerry Jones was curious. He wanted to know what was going on, so he picked the side where he could get the best view. Um, you know, the, the funny thing is, in truth, in truth, the true story is he had direct um, instructions from his coach at the time not to do that, not to go there. 
Um, and that, that doesn't get spoken about enough. But, but the, when I look at somebody like Jerry Jones going back over 50 years, it's not that you were going back over 50 years. It's that we could go back in the last five years and not see a whole lot of change. The same Jerry Jones who's never hired a black coach. The same Jerry Jones who told his players, if you stand with Kaepernick, if you support Kaepernick, you won't be on my team. He said that publicly. So, you know what? If I if you sound like that kid who's there in, in 1957 and I don't see a whole lot of change, yeah, well, you're going to be held accountable for that picture when you have made no growth whatsoever. Well said there, Chuck. And lastly, before before I let you go, you know, the NFL has such an an oversized presence, I believe, in American culture. Now, Ooh. contrary to what some goofy Americans think, the football does not really extend far beyond our borders. I know the NFL is trying to get a, 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 a subtraction over in Europe. I don't know if the Europeans are checking for American football, especially comparative to what we just saw this summer and the galvanization globally of the World Cup, right? Yeah. The NFL does not compare globally as a game. But when we look at the amount of power that this league wields um, economically, locally, it, in, in local politics, I mean, the NFL, where they have stadiums and where they have franchises, uh, they're shot callers where they where they are, you know, to entice politicians with their own boxes at the stadiums and to get sweet legislation or any kind of fucking thing. Right. I know. Right. For example, M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens Stadium, the M&T Bank Stadium accidentally went into auction because the stadium had not paid the city water bill in a long time. And goofily, somebody was able to pick up on, this was years ago, you guys can Google it, but somebody was able to pick up on it and actually made a bid for m Bank Stadium. And then obviously th th that did not happen. <laughs> but regardless, um, these are usurpers of, of public utility. They still, and I say still, they still tax funds, tax subsidies that are helped helping billionaires to build stadiums yeah. using public money to do that exploiting the community um for very cheap labor displacing communities when it's time to build a new stadium i'm thinking about englewood california sofi stadium that's a black and brown area they displaced so many people and gentrified it um that it's probably not gonna be black and brown for for very much yeah. longer thanks sofi stadium but the NFL is a harmful entity by all intents and purposes, Chuck. And is it going to take seeing these kinds of very graphic injuries um, that happened to Tua and that happened to Darwin? Um, is it going to take that to sort of awake a, a new consciousness in Americans to make them understand? And I know I'm asking a lot here, but to make them understand uh, that the NFL, as I guess entertaining as it can be to some, it, it's brutal and it does a detriment to the public good, ultimately? I mean, I hope so. I, I, I watch on Sunday and criticize on Monday. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I do, but I hope you're right. But that's just fair. so people have a context, yeah. if you took the top 100 rated shows last year, the top 100, 75% of them are NFL games. 75 of the top 100. There's no close second. It's like the biggest gap in NBA and MLB. There's no close second. If If... A million people left tomorrow, they'd still be by far and away the biggest entity. And as such, they call the shots. And you mentioned the stadiums. You mentioned their welfare for billionaires, which is basically billionaires hold the team hostage. And they say, give me that public money. And if you don't give me that public money, we're going to jump ship. We're going to leave town. That's what we're going to do. So what these billionaires, they hold the city hostage and they make the taxpayers 
pay that tax. So this is like legal blackmail, um, which is is awful. And I'll say this as a journalist, the, my real aha moment of just how powerful the NFL are to make something go away is the best journalist report, investigator report that I've seen came from Al Jazeera, and it was about Peyton Manning, a centered Peyton Manning. And they did a nine-month investigation, and they basically learned they, – they charged Peyton Manning with using HGH during his off year. And I could actually almost defend that on medical reasons. He had a bro- broken neck and all that. But that's beside He's the older, point. older player. He's an older player. And they said half the Green Bay Packers were using HGH. And th- it was explosive. And it was video, and it was undercover. And they had a dealer that they, you could go online and watch the 45-minute – presentation and it was the most damning presentation i ever seen caught on video and here's what happened they showed it before the super bowl peyton manning denied it said that's a terrible report and every journalist covering it fell in line and and it was so absurd that how they defended that they said that the person who was secretly recorded knew who was secretly recorded for months and went along with it as a joke that was the defense and when I saw that, when I saw that the NFL would back Peyton Manning, but not just back Peyton Manning, but shut down the entire NFL media from having a real critique and writing articles, I said, wow, that is a powerful entity. And if they can do that, they can do anything. Yes, and they will. And Chuck, before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a prediction here because you and I are, are you know, well, you are a New Yorker, now a Washingtonian. I well, yes, I guess. Yes. But anyway, anyway, Chuck, I'm telling you, Dan Snyder's not going to sell the team. I don't, I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't do not <sighs> see it happening. I don't see it happening. I don't. See I don't. It happening. Th- I don't think he will. But you know, Dan Snyder could end up being an asset. Because Dan Snyder, there, you know, there are rumors that Dan Snyder is the one who released that Jerry Jones picture. Of course, it was him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't substantiate it, but all of a sudden, you know, it pops up. And he's spiteful enough that he might push out some dirt. That's the same way, the way we find about police, if a disgruntled police officer uh, puts out dirt or accuses other officers, that's the best way to find out. I'm hoping Dan Snyder sticks around and gives us the dirt on the other owners, shows us the, the emails. That is the class warfare between the billionaires I am here for. When I yes. saw the report that Dan Snyder said that he has dirt on all the NFL owners and he's going to be leaking it, and then that lit picture from 1957 came out from Jerry, I said, <laughs> of course that was Dan Snyder. Who yeah. else did it? So yeah. I can't wait to see the rest of the dirt he got on the rest of the owners. So, yes, oh, yeah. I hope he doesn't sell until he has released uh, 30 more pieces <laughs> of, of dirt on the remaining That's NFL right. owners. Listen, we have been joined today with justice journalists and sports journalists he stands at the intersection of both covering race class and inequity in society and within sport we've been joined today with chuck modiano chuck thank you so much for making time to join me today i truly truly appreciate it it's really good to see you i like your hat you yes hot. kim great to be here <laughs> as always thank you chuck thank you chuck take it easy man you too Hey guys, um, so I closed my laptop. So maybe maybe y'all left comments and I missed them. <laughs> Let me, because I was getting distracted by uh, all the things. But really quickly, I just want to thank you all so much for tuning in today. Um, every Wednesday, you can find me here on Status Cool. You can also find me over on Burn It Down with Kim Brown Tuesdays and Fridays, seven p.m. Eastern. Go over to my channel and take a look around, poke around, see what you like. 
and and and, and see what you like. <laughs> and if you don't like, then, then you know, then then go somewhere else. But the other place you come right here is Status Quo News. Uh, I'm here every Wednesday. Oh, shout out to Black Power Media. Um, we do the Remix Morning Show there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Guys, I'd like to wish you again a happy new year. Keep watching this uh, mess. Are we everybody clear on mess? Yes. We keep watching the mess happening in the House of Representatives because it is tantalizing and spliff worthy. Roll you a J and watch the vote and the recap. <laughs> the vote number five. For the House Speaker, and I will speak at you guys next Wednesday. Thank you so much to Jordan and Colin behind the scenes pressing the button. It was Zayna. Zayna, thank you, Zayna. Shout out to Zayna, too. So y'all be easy. I'll see y'all later. Bye-bye.